Hello, my name's Charlotte Watts. This podcast was recorded at one of my live events, so either at a workshop, retreat or course that I was running. You can see details of these at my website, charlottewattshealth.com or join my Facebook group, Charlotte Watts Calm. I hope it's helpful to you. Do I have anything to say about gluten? So gluten is a sticky protein. It is found in wheat, rye, barley. Um, It often gets confused as being an oats because you can buy gluten-free oats. The reason for that is most oats are uh, processed in factories where there will be gluten. It's much higher levels in wheat than in rye or barley. And it's, yes, it's a sticky protein. It's glutinous, glue. Um, it actually can be part of glue. It can make glue like often old wallpaper paste used to be made out of it. It's very difficult for us to digest. So it doesn't break down easily in the human gut. Also, a lot of the cereal grains that we eat um, have been gene- genetically modified and bred to have much higher levels of it. So it can be incredibly prevalent in the modern diet. Is that why it's spelt so much better? Because it hasn't yeah. had all that processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's supposed to be a, an, an ancient variety. Great, but to be perfectly honest, for me, I, I react to spelt much worse than wheat. So it's not necessarily it's not necessarily just the gluten that you might be responding to. So a lot of people will also respond to the galactose, which is in uh, which is the type of fibre within the hu- in the hulls. Uh, but there are lots of other types of fibre. So, for instance, I mean, I handle dead wheat like you know white flour and a croissant much easily than i would handle you know a, a particularly like a, a, a sprouted wheat bread i just wouldn't even go near um but i can handle a croissant because one's kind of dead <laughs> and the other is sprouting and when things are sprouting in on, in the plant kingdom they are giving off the most of the, that plant's immune capacity most lectins, the most kind of phytic acid. Um, so I used to years ago eat loads of sprouting seeds, loads of alfalfa. I was wondering why my acne was still awful, why my inflammatory stuff was really terrible. And then I saw it's Leo Preemboom, who's a lecturer in PNI psychoneuroimmunology, and he was just saying, "Yeah, you don't really, really don't want to be eating sprouting sprouting stuff um, because that's when the plant, you know, insects." can't don't eat sprouting seeds because they've got no anus they cannot shit out the lectins and the phytic acid that can cause that pronounced immune reaction but we can but along the way there's potential for that to be pretty have a pretty inflammatory response in the gut so yeah i would tend to avoid kind of you know, for me personally, and this is not the same for everybody. And certainly, this is a, these are conversations I have with clients. It's not just like something is good, something is bad. I handle these days. I had because I had so much rye in place of wheat when I was healing my gut. That actually rye for me saddens me beyond end um, because I love those thin, crisp crackers. You know the ones. Yeah. Oh <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. I have to save those for every so often. I can handle, you know, some of them every so often. But if I have them, this is the trouble of living alone and buying a whole box. <laughs> is that you end up having them for, you know, for more than three, four days, which is when you often tend to get an, immu- an intolerant reaction to stuff. 
So I would say gluten, you know, is inherently difficult for humans. It tends to, you know, the varying research studies out there about what it can do, that it can lower serotonin on the gut wall, that it's inflammatory. Um, But again, it boils back to what I was talking before about variety. And also, this is part of the reason that people are really going back to slow, artisanal, traditional methods of cooking, is that we've only been farmers for 10,000 years. It's a really, really short amount of time. We've been cooking food for about 290,000 years. So we've been outsourcing energy to digest outside of the gut in cooking pots with the energy of fire for 300,000 years, more or less. So that's part of the evolution of the, of the human gut, which is very small in relation to our large brains than any other primates. Very different. Huge brain, small gut. And that's because a lot of the digestive process, that energy, we have outsourced to cooking. So, and that cooking was, you know, would have been long and slow because you cannot cook at high heat in the open air on an open fire. It's just not possible. A lot of our cooking would have been on bowls and soups and stews. So crockery, and a lot of this pottery was found in Japan, originally shown to be more ceremonial and then into cooking pots and different size shapes um, to have bowls of soups and stews, which really, really breaks stuff down if you cook things long and slow. And it's a really good delivery system for hydration, for minerals to the gut wall. Part of the reason I will always go back to soups and stews with people, particularly if there's confusion around what they can, you know, if intolerance, what they're responding to, what they've become sensitive to. It's a really good kind of dialing things back to default. And bone broths, it's part of the reason bone broths have come more and more into popularity because they're delivering glutamine to the gut wall. So they're delivering and and, um, and the, the, the the things that make up collagen and collagen itself. They're delivering them to the gut wall immediately for that for that restoration at, at the gut wall. And because we've only been farming for 10,000 years, when we did become farmers, and that was really because of population growth, because you cannot sustain more than six hunter-gatherers on land the size of the island of New York. So that could only take six hunter-gatherer lifestyles. Soon as our population started getting loaded, you have to start creating more and you have to start eating more plant stuff. It's the only way to survive. So actually, the farming is much more about feeding all the people rather than being you know, about any way of health. At that point, you are you stop you stop being nomadic because the wheat domesticates you. For those who've read Sapiens, and if you're interested in this, I, I will send the book list through of anything that I mention. And Sapiens is right up there on the top because I think it's an incredibly important book to understand our nature. So very soon. This is the basis of Paleolithic hunter-gatherer type diets. Very soon when we became farmers, there was this recognition that actually the foodstuffs that we were having to eat, the beans, the pulses, the grains, are inherently difficult to digest. And they're very, very nutritionally low. Like the amount of B vitamins in a grain and a pulse compared to 
animal is very small percentage. When I used to teach for a lecture for a nutrition college, we used that was one of the things we used to get students to do is make a spreadsheet of the the the, the comparing B vitamins and iron and zinc in plant foods to animal sources, and it's you know very very different. So there's this recognition that there's this is this is lower nutritionally really difficult to derive the nutrition from those plant sources. So we really need to chew. We're not chimpanzees. We do not chew 14 hours a day with very flat teeth. Mm-hmm. We do not have a colon that is a fermentation chamber. <laughs> and so and we so from huge amounts of plant matter, particularly raw, we can get quite a gaseous response which really changes the quality of the microbiome, the environment, the, the bacterial environment within our gut. So early on, farmers found lots of ways to process, which would be fermenting, soaking, and sourdough processes. So for instance, with grains, and this is back to the gluten, the sourdough bread, and part of the reason it's really come back into popularity, is it takes a bloody long time to make a sourdough ferment. You can force it, you can make it quicker, but it is not, it doesn't break the grains down in the same way. It doesn't lower the levels of phytic acid and the levels of gluten. But actually, a really traditional sourdough process really breaks gluten down. And it also, they're not really sure how, but it changes, it, it allows the gut wall to handle gluten a lot better. So if you are going to eat bread, then a sourdough is really the way to do it. And and if you look across the world in terms of cultures, then there's this innate wisdom in traditional cooking across the world that allows people to handle pulses and beans. So if you look across most traditional bean dishes across the world, they cook long and slow with garlic and onions. And garlic and onions break down phytic acid and lectins in the beans and they also help to break down really difficult fibers to digest like uh, raffinose and stachios i think but i often mix up all those consonants Uh, so it all comes back again to cooking long and slow in really traditional methods so things like you know a dal but what you also see across cultures is that people will add acidifiers so uh, fruits into places where um, people might be cooking meats or even cooking grains and things that acidify. So birch and muesli, for instance, is a soaking of the oats, soaking of the grains that includes, include traditionally apple juice or, and or yoghurt. So that's an acidifier that breaks down the phytic acid, the lectins that are problematic in those grains to render them more digestible so loads of different ways to do this all of them are slow and this is the trouble where you know modern convenience food is fast quick it expects things to be done quickly and a lot of the breads are forced um a lot of fermentation processes even are forced with extra sugar or extra chemical stuff <laughs> <laughs> 